Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Huntsback Country Podcast. These are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Joined today by Steve. Steve, you just came out of the Oakwoods, man. How was, uh, I don't know, any highlights, lessons from the week? Like what comes to mind to share? Yeah, it was good. Um, good. It was a good and bad week. We uh, At the end of the day, there was five of us in camp and only one bull died. So that you know was uh, a bummer. Certainly had higher expectations. Definitely... I'm still processing, you know, what happened, why we didn't kill more. Um, there was a lot of hunting pressure up in this area, which I did not expect. I've hunted in and around that area for a long time. And just seems like every hunter that had the tag was <laughs> camped in this one area. Uh, so we were constantly dodging that, but we were, there wasn't, we were into elk the whole time. You know, we had mornings that were slow or evenings that were slow, but for the most part, every day we were getting into elk. Um, so it wasn't like we need to leave, pack up and camp and, and leave. Um, but it is certainly frustrating to have a, have a couple of the hunts, you know, affected by other hunters that come in and, you know, unknowingly mess it up for you because you're chasing a bull and then they hear the same bugle and they're coming from a different direction and get winded or, you know, what, whatever happens. So, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, we did Cody killed a bull on Friday night. Um, it's pretty cool footage, pretty cool story. I didn't, uh, I was actually hunting with another guy that evening and wasn't with him for it, but uh, it was super, uh, super cool video, which would be cool for them to do on their land of the free series and see that come out. And um, yeah, it's beautiful weather, just, just gorgeous, perfect, you know, frosty mornings right around 32 degrees and warm enough to, you know, just hike around on your base layer, but you're never hot. It was just awesome. So I'm going to, we got till this Saturday for, you know, season to close here in Idaho. I'm going to hopefully sneak out for a little 24, 36 hour hunt and get something killed for myself. I didn't pack a bow, um, but that once the entire week, I was just, uh, in the back, you know, run the bugle tube. So nice. Yeah. We chatted quite a bit and then realized, oh shoot, we better actually start this podcast <laughs> about this week. Yeah. But one thing you mentioned was, as you said, having guys in camp, multiple tags to fill, you think that affected some of the decision-making, especially early on in the week of just thinking like, oh, we got to get moving, multiple tags to fill. We better be super aggressive or, you know, just make make quicker work of things. So I just, and then you came up that now, like looking back, like maybe that was, maybe you rushed into some decisions. So just to elaborate on that a little bit, I think it'd be a helpful takeaway. Yeah, like first thing Tuesday morning, you know, we uh, everyone gets into camp Monday night, Tuesday morning, head out, get a bowl to bugle right away. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's either three or four bowls all just kind of down in this little canyon. Uh, and we just kind of, you know, just, oh, heck yeah. You know, it's just like a great start to the week, right? Like 30 minutes after shooting light, we got bulls screaming and just kind of r- just fly down the hill. And I think we made a rush decision on what the wind was going to be doing. And that bull winded us. And then, um, and then I think he kind of, took off with his cows and maybe spooked the other bulls out. I'm not, we weren't exactly sure what happened because the rest of the day was just a dud. Like we could, you know, we heard a couple of faint bugles and kind of by the time you get over there and, and bugle off that next little spine ridge or whatever, then nothing responds. Um, and that was certainly the story a couple different times. You know, we get on the bulls first thing in the morning and just, just make mistakes uh, with, with the, with the wind, you know, it's like, uh, and again, I think a lot of, if it's like, if we had one tag to fill, it'd be like, okay, we got all week, let's take our time. And I think it certainly can shoot you in the foot if you're just, it's like, obviously you need to be 
it's such a got to strike such a good balance between being very methodical and thoughtful about how you approach a situation but at the same time you you have to be aggressive at times so you got to pick and choose when those moments are and some i think we just erred on being a little too aggressive too many times to where it, where it cost us so i think we could have easily had three or four four bulls down in camp you know uh, by the end of the week had a couple of decisions gone to other ways and then part of it's you know you by the end of the week just frustrated that we haven't killed anything you know it's like friday at noon we're back to camp and there's nothing dead yet and um you know that part of it is you know i'm breaking down the prior week and part of it is just bow hunting like you just yeah. you know you a bull you know responds and you get in close and he moved 50 yards to the left and the wind's blowing that way i mean i can't tell you how many times that happened where just there's not much you can do we did have you know it's kind of like a cold front coming in and so the winds were super swirly all week um and that uh, certainly just kind of messes you up. There's nothing you can do about that. Or elk coming in and just they're standing there on, on Friday night, went out with a guy and, you know, we had a bull there 30 to 40 yards for, a, you know, five plus minutes. The bull's just pacing back and forth, but just absolutely no shooting lanes in there. And that's the stuff that's kind of out of your control, right? Like we, there's not much you can do that. You just got to chalk that up to, well, that's bow hunting. And some of it is a numbers game. Like you got to have so many close encounters before one of them's going to pan out. So that was semi a setup to this listener question that came in. Mm. Um, and I'd love to get your thoughts and I can add to it just from my perspective, but especially as we just talked about like this week and sometimes stuff doesn't go your way and bow hunting, et cetera. But this guy wrote in and said, I love the podcast. Thank you for everything you guys do. Listening has greatly boosted my knowledge. Have you guys talked about when you became confident in elk hunting? He went on to say, I hunted Colorado once for archery and once for rifle. I definitely made mistakes, but learned a lot on both of those trips. This year, I drew a Montana general season tag and was feeling really confident going in. But after hunting the opening week of archery season, my confidence was just crushed. I would love to hear your thoughts on developing confidence as an elk hunter. So, you know, as you guys said, Steve, like your hopes were higher maybe than the end outcome, but does that change anything about your confidence? Like how should someone like this guy think of confidence? What has your confidence, you know, how has that ebbed and flowed or just grown over time? Like, I think it's an interesting topic to chat through a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I would say... I hunted four days last week, uh, or two weeks prior by myself. And we talked about that a lot last Monday minute, didn't kill anything, had, had a couple close calls, hunted some areas that were complete duds and then hunted four days this week, you know, rolling into Friday. I'm like, this is my eighth day of hunting. And I, you know, <laughs> this sound arrogant or whatever, but it's been a long time since I've hunted eight days and an animal hasn't died. Like whether I was with somebody or shot at myself. Right. Um, and so you just kind of start, you certainly got to start to question what, what's going on. Right. And again, some of it, I, the more I analyze these last two weeks, it's some of it's just rushing into stuff and making mistakes and getting maybe a little too overconfident. Like, Oh, I got this. I'll just go in there and kill that bull, you know? And then you're just some of those little nuanced details. You're just missing of, of catching that, you know, what the wind's going to do or where you think the elk are. Like, you know, they're there now, but by t- in 30 minutes, are they moving? You know, just position yourself to create that opportunity. 
And I, I, yeah, certainly our confidence was just kind of like, oh, okay. Like I obviously making mistakes here because we've had a lot of bulls in bow range and nothing's dead yet. So what do we need to do better? And uh, as far as building that over time, it, I think it just comes through, I guess, yeah, it just comes through experience and just keeping after it and knowing that I think, you know, one thing that I kept saying towards the end of the week is like, well, it's just a matter of time. Like every day someone's coming back to camp with the story of, oh, the, you know, bull is this, you know, within bow range, you know, blue wind, you know, sixth sense type thing got us or the wind blew us or no shooting lanes. Like at some point I did have the confidence knowing that if we just kept doing what we we're doing, it was going to work out for somebody. It's just the odds are going to stack in your favor eventually. Yeah, I, I, it's not. I'm trying to figure out the how the confidence was built over time, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it takes a decade, I think, of to get to a, a what I would call like a high level of certainty that like okay, I've got um, X amount of time. I'm in woods where elk live. Like something will die eventually here, whether it's you know on the first day or the third day or the fourth day, because mm-hmm. uh, I certainly have. Uh, it didn't prove right. But last, when I was going into that hunt by myself, I was like, I got four, four, possibly five days to hunt solo, like 1000% chance something's going to die. You know, that's, that's how <laughs> I felt going into it. Like I, right. all the confidence in the world. And again, I, you know, reflected back on after four days of hunting, why I didn't kill an elk. And, um, certainly part of it was I was changing my hunting style just to, to really cover miles and kind of scout for this last week. Uh, which I'm glad I, I did that because I, you know, obviously found some areas to hunt and areas not to hunt, and that helped us during this last week. But at the end of the day, we only we only killed one bull. So, yeah, I think you just got to keep at it. If I think back to when I started, because I started with you know no help and no one showing me anything and no experience and whatever. So for me, like building confidence at first just looked like finding elk, finding elk sign, uh, mm. you know, like having encounters, that type of thing. So you know, early on, depending where you're coming from, it may not be filling tags. It may just be doing it, getting comfortable out there, building confidence that you can do it, that you can go into the mountains, um, that you can find an elk, that you can locate an elk, right? Like that you know the difference between old sign and fresh sign, right? Like there's all these baby steps of confidence that build to becoming an elk hunter. Um, cause even, I mean, some guys, you know, they go out and I don't want to say just get lucky cause they put an effort, but even if you were to go out in your very first elk hunt ever and fill a tag, I don't know that that translates to a proper amount of confidence. If you didn't actually learn a lot compared to someone yeah. who may go out for several years and didn't fill a tag, but man, they're learning a lot. They're understanding what they're looking for, what they're doing, what they're hearing, They've had multiple encounters to build off of. And so that guy who's maybe three or four years in should rightfully have more confidence than maybe somebody who hunted a year and filled a tag, right? Mm-hmm. So for a guy like this, he said he's, you know, before this year, he's done two hunts. Um, and then he had this year's hunt, the third hunt, which rocked his confidence. But different state, different season, you know, just different experiences, I'm sure. And so let it build your confidence not shake your confidence right like what did you learn what can you take away even if you realized you did a lot of things wrong 
the fact that you now know what you're doing wrong should build your confidence, right? Versus going, yeah, I went out there and on a elk, but I'm not sure what I did wrong or what happened, or I didn't learn a very concrete lesson. Like if you're learning, you should be building confidence at the end of the day. So it's not always about filling tags because as we talked about, you could do a lot of things right, especially with bow hunting, just not have stuff go your way to actually get that shot opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think it's about the process. If you're learning, you're growing, you're you're building confidence or should be. Yeah. Yeah, there's something there because you see hunters get in slumps where they go, you know, a, a, a whole year without killing something or, or years stack on years. And there's something there with like you get into this state and it kind of happened to us this week where you're just kind of going through the motions, like you're checking, you know, like, all right, here's like the 10 things you need to do approaching an elk, like, right. Uh, you're checking like eight out of those 10 boxes, but you're not, you know, that's the, the difference between those, those guys that are just consistently killing is just kind of that, certainly in that last, you know, 30 minutes before killing or that last hundred yards, right? Like when it coming right up to the edge of, is, is this going to happen or not? They're making, all these little subtle decisions that that lead to that success versus just kind of like you know it's like you get close and you just kind of like throw your hands up in the air and and just like make a dumb move and you're throwing your hands up in the air saying like um you know i just gotta i'm gonna make this work i'm gonna rush in there real quick and this is gonna work and if, or if you don't have the confidence that it's you know, it's li- unlikely to pan out. You kind of make some errors in judgment, right? Um, and I think those those you just see that happen with guys where that they keep making these little mistakes and then they just stack on themselves to where um, all of a sudden they just kind of get the get a get a major slump, get a curse going on them. So um, I definitely just saw us going through the motions a couple times this past week mm-hmm. uh, instead of taking every situation is an individual situation that's unique and uh, you know addressing it approaching it you know appropriately right whether this situation needed to be called for rushing in or this one's like no let's let's sit back and and wait you know like the the bull cody and i killed uh, cody killed last year um you know it was bulls bugling 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 we're chasing them we get in position and the wind wasn't it just wasn't perfect it was okay we could have gone in there and rushed it and you know who maybe would have killed it anyways but we you know you got a bull screaming he's 250 yards away over this little rise and we just sit down and wait for two hours for the wind to shift you know like we didn't do that once this week right mm-hmm. but we did that last week or last year um and then we mm-hmm. waited for the winds the thermals to kick up we were on hunting a a um east facing slope so it didn't take too long in the morning for the sun to hit those and the thermals kicked up and they did that we got in there we knew the bull was probably likely bedded right in that area uh, with his cows snuck in there called you know five minutes later the bull's dead bam uh and that goes back like this week said we didn't do that and part of that was i think we had so many tags to fill that it was like oh we don't have time to um wait for two three hours for the winds to shift let's just go in there you know and uh make this happen right now and that obviously just over and over and over again kept biting us in the ass yeah that's a really helpful comparison i like it 
shifting gears a little bit, we had an email come in. Uh, this guy said, my mind was wandering with some hypotheticals on my last hunting trip, and I thought it might be interesting to have some would-you-rather type prompts on a Monday Minute and hear how you guys would process those answers. <laughs> this one jumped out in my mind, and I'll get ready to read his question, but I thought this idea of a would-you-rather is kind of interesting. So if yeah, it is. a listener th- thinks of something, like, again, let us know. Shoot us an email, uh, podcast at xmountgear.com if you have a would-you-rather that you want us to discuss. But this guy who wrote in, Here's his would you rather. Would you rather have your sleep location slope slightly up or down or side to side? And if up or down, which side would you rather have up higher? So there's definitely been situations, Steve, where we've had a less than ideal places to pitch a tent and you know you're going to have to deal with slope in some form or another. So when you do and you're saying... I'm going to have to choose to not be level here. Why do you choose to pitch the tent the way that you do? So would you rather be side to side, up to down? And if up to down, do you essentially want your feet higher or your head higher? Mm, I mean, so usually you're not able to choose between those, right? Like your tents, you're, you're only two feet wide by six feet in one direction. So uh, if it's side, yeah, if it's, it's side to side left or right side it doesn't matter i can still sleep okay in that like you know you just because i sleep on my side mm-hmm. um you know you put i put my i had to I think maybe on a bear hunt i was that was one of the situations where yeah, i was we basically forced to like yeah forced to put basically like i sleep on my side uh and put my like you know back on the downhill side so that the rest of my body's facing up um, and that seems to work, but I, I, you know, every two hours I wake up with like my shoulder numb or something like that. And, um, when I'm on flat ground, it's nice. Cause I can like roll around and constantly change positions to like relieve pressure on one part. And then again, two hours later, I wake up with another part that's hurting. Um, as far as foot up or foot down, I prefer foot slightly up. I'd rather, if you're down, it just seems like you're going to be sliding off your pad. Where if you're, if you're, um, yeah, if your feet are down, you're sliding down. If your uh, feet are up, then you're sliding, you know, towards the top of your pad. And it's just easier. You got your arms there. It's easier just to kind of like push back, or you can sleep, kind of sleep on your stomach and use your arms to kind of just brace yourself in front of you. So that's not too bad. But uh, either of those, I, it's amazing what you can do with a stick and your boots as far as just leveling places out. And I've, I am, I spend, you know, it's absolutely, even if you're dead dog tired and it's, you know, 11 o'clock at night and you just got stuff set up, like spend five, 10, 15 minutes leveling out your spot as best as possible. It's so that I've, I've got to places where like, Oh, this doesn't look good, but you just start kicking away at the ground. And if it's really hard, grab a nice, sharp pointy stick and you know use it like a pickaxe and start breaking it up and um i can really get that ground oh you know it's pretty rare i can't get it really level um and then you know i'll just lay on the ground before i ever put anything down and like yeah okay this is good or no i still need to still need to do some work i, I think it's absolutely worth you know how many times have we talked about over the years good sleep in the backcountry is is absolutely critical to to maintain a, a pace of 
backpacking for, you know, a week, you can have crap sleep for a night or two and get by. But, um, so yeah, just really take your time, get that, get that level. If I guess maybe, maybe you're just sleep rock solid out there. It doesn't matter what, what the situation is, but that's, <laughs> that's not the case for me. Yeah. yeah. And that, again, that feeds back to why we, why I sleep in a baby sack 99% of the time. Cause I, it takes up so much less space and I can find little flat spots to, to get set up. You know, when you have like a worst case scenario, you've got like a two man tent and you know, there's no flat spot big enough for it. And you're, you know, you just kind of left with like, well, it's the only place we can pitch it. And what's underneath you is what you got. And those, I hate being in those situations. Yeah. Similar to what you said. I mean, I've just found over the years that you can make a spot better than you probably think it could be, you know, just with some work. And mm-hmm. of course it does take some work, but it's, it's worth it. So I think in the past I have accepted what a spot is and slept terrible. And now I'm more prone like you to invest a little more time and effort into making it better. Um, but if it is, you know, kind of unavoidable, as you said, Steve, a lot of times you can't necessarily choose side to side versus up and down just because it's going to be shaped one way or the other. My preference in general is to have my head higher than my feet. And then I've done numerous different things of sometimes like I'll bring my pack inside the tent. So this obviously depends on what shelter you're running, how much room you have, but put my pack at the foot end of the tent. So essentially I can't slide any further. Like my pack is mm. almost a barrier or a stop to keep me from sliding down. Um, or if that's not possible, like you don't have the extra length in um, in your shelter. You can do this obviously for either the head or the foot end, but still just take some items and put them under your sleeping pad. So between the sleeping pad and the floor, and if your feet are low, you can just literally kind of raise up or build up the gra- the quote unquote ground just by putting items under your sleeping pad. So I've done mm-hmm. that with boots. I've done that with numerous other things. Um, I actually did that on the sheep hunt this year for a totally different reason, but I got kind of sick after we were out and all that wind and the rain and wasn't breathing well, but I was breathing better if I was a little more head elevated. And so I just purposely kind of stuffed some items under my sleeping pad. I was still using a pillow, but I just like created a whole shift in my sleeping pad where my head, neck and shoulders were a little more elevated and then still just had my pillow on top of the sleeping pad. And that, again, I just did that for breathing, really. (laughs) Um, Hmm. But that's another thing I've done is basically if, if you're shifting, create a barrier with gear physically, or if you are on a slope in any direction, is just start stuffing stuff under your sleeping pad above the tent floor, and you can almost like level things out that way. So that's what I tend to do. I like it. That was fun. Would you rather? If you guys have other options, uh, other questions, whether it's would you rather or something else, uh, as always, definitely reach out. Let us know. Just email podcast at xmountgear.com. But right now, that's a wrap on this Monday Minute. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We will be back on Wednesday with another full-length episode. And as always, you can get uh, new episodes, but also the back catalog of episodes at xomontgear.com forward slash podcast. There's hundreds of episodes there. You can search by keyword, browse by topic, etc. So check out that if you haven't already. And we'll talk to you soon.